Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, forward prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And the Oscar goes and to. And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to. Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. Where shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer, kid. All real man. Love is, is Love. too weak a word. I know I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you if there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to... Parasite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 224 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. Time of recording is 11.02 a.m. on December 13th, 2020. Here to join me today, I have Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. Lauren LaMagna. Hello. Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Dan Baer. Good morning. And Tom O'Brien. Hey, everybody. All right, everyone. So, pretty packed week, especially if you are a particular studio named Disney. Uh, we also had some developments in the award season conversation with a couple of precursors. Those are going to really start firing up now, starting today with the announcement of Boston Society of Film Critics. And then it's just going to keep on going and going and going and going all the way until the end of April. So buckle in. The award season is officially here for 2020 slash 2021. I don't know how we're categorizing this yet. Uh, but in any event, though, so we have a couple trailers to talk about this week. We're also going to uh, discuss the Disney Investor Day call that happened or presentation or just, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, essentially. <laughs> the, 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 the monopoly continues all over the film industry. Uh, but there's a lot to definitely go over. Before we get into all of that, let's talk about what everyone watched this week. So uh, why don't we start it off with Michael? Yeah, Matt, you're going to be very happy. I saw four movie movies this week and one TV movie. That's five altogether. So it was a big week of watching around here. And for the most part, they were all pretty excellent. So I'll go back and do in chronological order. The first movie I saw was Run. I caught up with that on Hulu. Uh, with Sarah Paulson, and that was very entertaining. It was a nice little thriller, uh, under 90 minutes, played very well from home. I enjoyed that quite a bit. The TV movie I watched, I saw Mangrove, the first uh, installment of the Small Axe series on Amazon. Uh, I thought it was very good. I did think it paled in comparison to Chicago 7 being so close, but it was a really interesting story. Uh, nice to see Steve McQueen in this different style. Uh, he's capable of pretty much anything, it seems like, so I'm looking forward to the rest of those entries. I watched Let Them All Talk on HBO Max, the new Steven Soderbergh film, which is one of my very favorite films of the year. I loved it so much. I think his nimble direction, combined with Deborah Eisenberg's clever plotting, infuses what are already such rich performances, especially from Candace Bergen and Meryl Streep. Diane Weiss is also very good, but it's like the two of them are really at the top of their game here. I really love this movie and uh, hope everyone gets to check it out. I watched The Prom, which we did a whole podcast review on yesterday. 
I think it is an absolute joy, made my heart soar, flaws and all. And then last night I caught up with Minari through Lincoln Center's Virtual Cinema. I thought it was a really moving portrait of the struggle for the American dream. It really sneaks up on you, and there's a really terrific ensemble there. So I'm looking forward to see where it goes this award season. Nice. Awesome. Don't agree with everything as always, but I'm glad that you saw a lot this week, Michael. <laughs> uh, why don't we now hear from Lauren? Like Michael, this was also a big week for me, but I'll just highlight a couple. I also saw Minari last night through Lincoln Center, and I loved it. I thought the cinematography was amazing. It's probably my favorite score and favorite ensemble thus far of the year. I don't know what will top it, but it's beautiful. So whenever you guys can see it, please go see it. I saw The Prom, which is um, a movie I don't like Ryan Murphy as a director, and I tried to go in with an open mind, but um, he still failed me as a viewer. So if you like him, you might like it. If not, you won't. Um, I really did enjoy the podcast, though, that they that you guys did. So go check that out. And I saw Sound of Metal, which was, guys, <laughs> like, A, the sound was amazing. Like, I know, like, it's about sound and it's about hearing, but that was amazing. And I just loved the story. And I loved Riz Ahmed. Please, like, I'm praying to the God to let this guy be rewarded for this amazing performance. One of my favorites. And it was absolutely great. So please check out Sound of Metal. It's out. Go watch it. Thank you. All right. Awesome. Uh, let's hear next from Josh Parham. Yeah, so uh, like everybody else, this has been a pretty busy week for me. Um, I've gotten to catch up with a lot of stuff throughout the week. Um, uh, I finally saw Another Round. I got to see that movie, and I, I liked it. I don't know if I loved that movie, but it was certainly a very entertaining watch, and I think Mads Mikkelsen in particular uh, is really, really good in it, and I, I did enjoy that one quite a bit. Um I did not enjoy The Midnight Sky, which was another movie that I saw. I, oof. <laughs> We've already had kind of offline conversations about that movie, and it is very, it's a big misfire for me. It, it looks great. The production design and visual effects are pretty good, but the story is just really, really empty. And my God, does it have like, like eye rolling does not even begin to describe the ending to that movie. It's really, really terrible. <laughs> I was not a fan of the Midnight Sky at all. Um, I also got to see French Exit, which we're going to talk about that trailer later. So I'll say more thoughts for that later. I'll just say that I did like that movie uh, a good deal. Um, and the the last sort of big one that I saw was I caught up with News of the World, which I also really liked. It, it's not amazing, and I think that that's a movie where. It takes a little while to get going. Honestly, I think like the first 30 minutes or so were kind of slow to me, but soon the action kind of picks up and it really did start to get a lot more interesting for me. And it's kind of a traditional movie, but I think for the most part, it's really, really well done. Looks beautiful. The cinematography especially is amazing. And yeah, I thought it was a really like solid movie. Nothing great, but I enjoyed myself while I was watching it. Okay. All right. Uh, let's hear next from Dan Bear. Like everyone else, I've been catching up with as much as I can. Uh, like Josh, I saw The Midnight Sky, and I was actually really right there with it for the first act. I thought the first act was really, really great. And then um, 
by the end of the movie, I was throwing things at my TV. So you can imagine how that went. Um, <laughs> I will say that I really do like the um, the score by Alexandre Desplat. I think it's doing all of the heavy lifting um, to, to get keep you involved in that movie. And the production design is great. I really enjoyed, you know, the way that they designed the space station or spaceship in that movie. Um, but not, not, I mean, I do want people to watch it because you need to see just how spectacularly wrong the ending is, but it's not something that I can really like recommend as a good movie. Um, I rewatched Nomadland for a podcast review that we did earlier in the week. I highly recommend you listen to that podcast as well as the one for The Prom, which I also rewatched and which I like less and less every time I, I see it. Um, as, I, as I've said offline in a couple of conversations, it is the worst film I will have watched more than once this year. I don't know what that says about the movie or about me, but there you have it. Um, I also, for the first time, finally caught up with Miss Juneteenth. Yes. <laughs> which um, has a, the emotional gut punch of it totally snuck up on me by the end. Um, but Nicole Bahari is absolutely fantastic in this movie. I who even needs expository dialogue when you have what she's doing with her face in like the first half of this movie, giving you all the backstory and all the layers to this character. It's just a really incredible performance. I highly recommend catching up with it if you can. Um, and I also caught up with on the rocks, the Sofia Coppola film, which was fine. Um, it was very slight, um, kind of almost featherweight. I really enjoyed Bill Murray in it, um, being Bill Murray. Um, but there was still some substance to a couple of scenes with him and Rashida Jones that, that, um, played really well. Um, I didn't love it, but I like it a lot. Okay. Awesome. And then finally, Tom O'Brien. All right. Uh, like many of you, I saw The Prom uh, and was part of uh, the podcast. Uh, as uh, Matt told one um, uh, reader, uh, strap yourself in. It's quite a podcast. <laughs> and so that's on the uh, Next Best Picture website. Um, like Josh, I also saw Nomadland for the second time. Um, the reason was the first time I saw it was at a drive-in. And let's just say that it doesn't play that well at a drive-in. But uh, in, on a screener, it's extraordinary. I mean, it really is a portrait of America. And um, that it, and it's, I think, a tribute to American re- resilience. And um, uh, Francis McDormand, of course, is extraordinary. Uh, from the late to the party department, I saw <laughs> Kelly Reichardt's First Cow. Oh, wow. It's a beautiful, beautiful oh. Oh. Uh, and it's, it's so atmospheric. I definitely got um, McCabe and Mrs. Bill Miller vibes from it because it, it's about a town that gets built up and um, uh, a couple of entrepreneurs who just go a little too far. It's a it's a really one of the year's best films. And it's on Showtime now. So if you have Showtime, it's very easy to see. And uh, definitely, definitely give it a watch. Uh, the Truffle Hunters is an interesting documentary set in northern Italy. Uh, about a group of elder 
um, who uh, go out to hunt truffles. And it's it's their story, but it's also a story about economic disparity because the people who the truffle hunters sell their wares to then make thousands and thousands of dollars on the truffle market. Uh, and so you have the haves and the have-nots. And the have-nots particularly are fascinating people. It's a really good documentary. Uh, it'll be out later this year, later, I think, in early in 2021. Uh, but please keep an eye out for it. And amazing cinematography for a documentary as well. Yes. Yeah, it is gorgeous. And there's a doggy cam in it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely the dog movie of the year. <laughs> um, now, what can I say about... Um, Wild Mountain Time. Oh, boy. <laughs> I think my reaction is great gowns. Beautiful gowns. <laughs> I have to say the reviews for Wild Mountain Time have made me kind of excited to watch it. Guys, the, the ending twist of this movie, you know, like Midnight Sky had a oh, fuck off, like kind of reaction to its twist where Wild Mountain Time, my reaction was wait what <laughs> and i was my jaw like hit the ground and i could not pick it back up and then as the characters then started talking about the twist and having dialogue about it i was like this is happening this, this is really happening <laughs> it was unbelievable to me <laughs> i i think we found our serenity for 2020 <laughs> which that is like the biggest endorsement really <laughs> 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 we might have to do an audio commentary on this movie at some point. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, we got we got it. Uh, you know, plus the fact that there are uh, uh, wonky accents all over the place. It's it's real Irish malarkey. Um, but, uh, you know, it's funny about the twist because this is based on a play. And this play is about seven years old. It was produced on Broadway. And I, this is the first time I ever heard about the twist. And uh, so I guess people who saw the play knew it was coming. But I certainly didn't. And my, you know, my, you know. You know, jaw floor. It was just <laughs> if you get a chance to Christopher Walken with the brogue, um, the the twist is uh, one of those moments that we're going to remember in 2020. And finally, um, I won't talk too, too much about it because I'm sure we're going to be talking about it in future weeks. But I did see one of the very best films of the year with one of the very best performances I've seen in years. And that is Promising Young Woman. Oh, shit. <laughs> so it's, uh, I really do. Um, we, we look out for a, a, a extensive, wonderful podcast review at some point in the next few weeks. Yep, that's definitely coming. OK, so for myself, really quick, I did rewatches of Nomadland and The Prom for um, the podcast. You can hear my thoughts on those podcast reviews. Today, I'm looking forward to rewatching Wolfwalkers and Minari for those upcoming podcast reviews as well. Um, another rewatch, though, that I did was I rewatched Tenant at home with subtitles in 4K and... I have to admit, I still think it is weaker Nolan because he sacrifices character for the sake of his narrative structure and the twist that he wants to preserve at the end of the movie. So character uh, development and motivations are kept in, like are kept intentionally vague throughout, which is a storytelling decision I don't necessarily agree with. But man, oh, man, did I admire this movie so much more on a rewatch the scale of it, 
the visuals, the score by uh, this the score. Um, even the sound actually did play better at home than it did in the theater. So I have to admit, I'm not as low on it as I was when I first saw it. And it has increased for me. It's definitely not one of his best still. But I do think that it is a movie that will hold up well to repeat viewings over time. Um, and then <laughs> saw The Midnight Sky as well. Honestly, I, I agree with what's been said. It had me in the beginning. It lost me. I think that George Clooney botched the two storylines with the astronauts in space and what he was doing down on Earth. And I think the movie just would have been so much better if it just focused on him uh, back on Earth. The entire movie has like a one man show and you never saw the astronauts. You heard their communication with him via, you know, the microphones and such. But like you never, ever saw that storyline could have been like another moon you know, all over again. But instead, we get this narrative mess of a movie, and it was really, really disappointing for me. Uh, and then, finally, uh, the uh, the other movie I want to just mention really quick here is I finally caught up with I'm No Longer Here on Netflix, which is Mexico's official entry into this year's Best International uh, Feature Film category at the Oscars. And this is, an, uh, as I mentioned before, a Netflix movie. Um, it's gorgeously shot. It's well-acted. And it's a well-told story about the immigration uh, experience, identity. The pacing is a little bit of a struggle for me. But, you know, you guys, I think you guys know at this point, if a movie is sometimes a little too slow, uh, that, you know, is something that just doesn't always work for me. But I think a lot of you guys here will definitely find a lot to appreciate in it. And it's readily available. So um, it's one of the 80 plus films that are vying for a nomination this year. So... I recommend checking it out. Hi, everyone. This is Tim Costa. I'm Hermano De Silva. And this is Walter Vinci. And together we are the First Time Watchers Podcast. Each week we choose a movie to review that none of us has seen. Watch it together. And then discuss. These movies could be new. Or old. Or on our list of shame. You can find us on iTunes by searching for the First Time Watchers Podcast. As well as on Stitcher. And we love interacting with our listeners. So if you have any suggestions, send us a tweet. An email. Or post to our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. I mean, it's all about interaction. And talking about what we love. Movies. And you don't have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And oh, no, look, no, let's no, talk stop, about stop, this minute. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. And shut I wonder up. who shut the cat that can God watch. damn it, shut up. I think that's enough. Oh, my God. Go by the credits. Let's talk about Disney. <laughs> oh, Disney, 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 Disney. What a day they had this week with all the new projects that they announced uh, on Thursday. The Investor Day presentation went on for seemingly forever. I'm going to break this down into um, sections here and I'm going to list off uh, some of the things that they announced. And then when I'm done with that section, you guys can feel free to give uh, thoughts on what you're looking forward to uh, or, you know, any criticisms that you have. So first up is uh, Star Wars on Disney+. Plus. Mandalorian, there's going to be two spinoffs, Rangers of the New Republic and uh, Ahsoka. Uh, we have Star Wars The Bad Batch, which is coming, and it's another animated series that's uh, going to be like sort of in the vein of the Clone Wars. Star Wars Andor, the Rogue One prequel. Uh, the Acolyte, Russian doll creator uh, Leslie Headland is going to be uh, doing that. Obi-Wan Kenobi with Ewan McGregor reprising his role, and they announced that Hayden Christensen is coming back as Darth Vader. What? He'll be in a suit. And then you have a droid story, uh, which is 
I guess going to be a new droid show that's going to be with R2-D2 and C-3PO. Uh, Star Wars Lando, uh, which is going to you know uh, be about Lando Calrissian. And Star Wars Visions, an anime anthology series. Uh, like... <laughs> Let's let's start off with that. <laughs> Jeez. My head hurts. I mean, if you love Star Wars, this is good news. And I haven't even said the movies yet. Uh, you know, for the movies, they announced that Patty Jenkins, who is doing Wonder Woman 1984, she's directing the next theatrical Star Wars movie called Rogue Squadron, uh, which is coming to theaters in December of 2023. And they also confirmed that Taika Waititi will be making a Star Wars movie in 2024. I am happy that those people are working. Um, I will fully admit, I'm not the biggest Star Wars fan. I, I think that that property is like entertaining, but it has never really interested me. And so this very long list of the stuff that they're working on, it's like, okay, I mean, it makes complete sense. This is the direction that Disney wants to go in. And obviously it's been working for them. Um, but I will be honest that for me personally, I don't really have any other emotion outside of, eh, yeah, okay. And, and I just sort of move on <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah. I genuinely am confused by all the doubling down on Star Wars shit after the horror that was the rise of Skywalker. Well, the Mandalorian is doing very well for them. That's I think that's the indicator. Yeah, that's true. And like, honestly, like. I used to be a big Star Wars fan, and this is so much oversaturation. And I'm just like, can we please come down? Can we please have anything original Disney? Same, Dan. Nice, thank you. Yeah, I grew up on Star Wars and have had a really good experience with it growing up. Um, It's gone downhill since Disney bought it, I will say that. And I'm not a huge fan of how... Kathleen Kennedy has been leading it, in my opinion. But there are some things I'm excited about. I'm excited for people who don't know Osaka to meet Osaka in her own world. And if you haven't seen The Clone Wars, hit that up because that's a good show. So I'm excited about that. Um, Ewan McGregor was the best part of the prequel. So if he wants to go for it again, sure, why not? But I do think it is extremely oversaturated. There's a lot of stuff that they're making that doesn't have an audience that, like, that and that money can be used elsewhere, so I just don't understand. But my head hurts. But there's like a good three things that I'm kind of excited for. I'm kind of thinking that The Mandalorian is doing well because it's a standalone. It really stands out from the Disney Plus pack with all of these Star Wars titles. I just afraid they're going to cannibalize themselves. Let's move over now to Disney and Pixar. So we know that... Lin-Manuel Miranda will be writing music for Pixar's new Columbia set musical called Encanto. Uh, We know that Tiana, which is based on the uh, Princess and the Frog, is scheduled to premiere in 2023. Uh, Moana is receiving a long-form musical comedy series spinoff, which is coming to Disney Plus in 2023. Uh, Baymax, uh, which is uh, focused on the robot from Big Hero 6, uh, that's also coming to Disney Plus in 2022. Zootopia Plus, as you can guess, a spinoff from Zootopia arriving on Disney Plus in 2022. And other news for Disney Plus, Raya and the Last Dragon is coming on March 5th, 2021, and it's going to be a day and date release in theaters on Disney Plus Premiere Access, which was the same thing that Mulan did where it debuted for $30 and in theaters. So get ready to shell out that cash again for Raya and the Last Dragon. 
Which is interesting that they are going back to the premium access when, you know, when Mulan did it, and, and we didn't really think that that got a great reception so much that they didn't do it for Soul, and now they're going back to it for Ryan the Last Dragon. It just seems very odd of this, like... I don't know. That seems very strange to me that they would go back to the pay $30 for this movie again. It's Especially also, it when they do it for Soul and not... Uh, they don't do it for Soul, then they put it back here. Whereas Soul was the movie that I would have shelled money out for. Whereas Raya, you know, I could wait a few weeks until that's made free. And it, I'm sure it's not lost on anyone that these both of the properties that they've put under Premier Access have Asian leads. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did think about that too. Not a good look. The only thing that I could really think about is to maybe why Soul didn't go through this is maybe they figured it being around Christmas that the like gifting subscriptions as holiday gifts would then make up for the surcharge. That's the only thing that I can maybe think is the reason why they didn't do it. Okay, now for Pixar, we have Lightyear coming which is going to be voiced by Chris Evans. This is going to tell the origin story of the real Buzz Lightyear pilot who inspired the famous toy that we have seen in the movies. So this is not the toy as yeah. they were explicitly yeah. saying. Hence, a very creative and smart way to write Tim Allen out of our lives. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, we have Luca, which is going to be set in Italy, uh, set to arrive in June of 2021. Definitely expect to see lots of Call Me By Your Name references, I'm sure. They've already started. (laughs) And then we have Turning Red, uh, which is a story that follows a 13-year-old girl who is changing during puberty and also has the ability to transform into a giant red panda when she gets excited. I thought Marvel was already doing (laughs) She-Hulk. And this one is uh, from the same director who did the short film Bow, right? Yes. It's a very interesting premise. I'm interested to see who the cast is and more about it. You know, Pixar very rarely lets me down, so this should be really unique. It's a fresh idea. Well, in terms of not letting you down, Michael, they also have Disney Plus content coming as well. So we have Duck Days, which is going to follow uh, the dog from Up, as you might recall. Uh, That's set to premiere on Disney Plus in fall of 2021. Uh, Pixar Popcorn is a new series of shorts focused on how uh, beloved Pixar characters. Uh, I guess that's going to be like a documentary behind the scenes thing. I f- I'm not really sure, uh, but that's coming very soon. That's coming actually uh, early 2021. Uh, Lightning McQueen and Mater. Uh, yes. <laughs> okay. We all love the car series. Uh, that's coming in the fall of 2022. And Pixar's first original long form animated series, Win or Lose, is uh, going to be coming in fall of 2023. I'm excited yeah. by all of it. Sounds, you know, like a great way to utilize this Disney Plus platform and come up with fresh ideas, expanding brands or coming up with uh, new characters altogether. I'm excited to see what they come up with. I think like the big takeaway from me so far with all of this is that right now when it comes to all, all of the platforms out there, Netflix, Disney Plus, uh, Hulu, it always seems like there's always a lot of new content, but very, very rarely does anything really capture the zeitgeist and get everybody fully involved? Like, I feel like this year, Disney Plus had Hamilton and The Mandalorian, and that doesn't mean that they didn't have other stuff debut on there. Uh, That's just the only two things I've seen people, like, actively get really, really invested in so far. Uh, Mulan was interesting because, like Josh said, there were some people who waited 
for it to become more readily available than there were people who watched it uh, early for the $30. And then, like, with Netflix, it's, you know, what, The Queen's Gambit? And I, I just, you know, in The Crown, and I, I don't really... It's really, really hard to, you know, so it's like they're kind of just throwing stuff at a wall and seeing what sticks, it feels like, you know? Yeah. They're just expanding already, like, established IPs and content and just seeing how much more can they write for it. And I just wish that they would make more original content and not just, like, strive to just do spinoff after spinoff after spinoff of, like, every single supporting character that Pixar has to offer. Well, it's funny you mentioned that, Lauren, because now we come to the MCU. (laughs) So. Wow, I'm such a hypocrite. (laughs) <laughs> this is l- so exhausting. We have uh, WandaVision, uh, which is coming on ja- in January. Uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which is coming in March. Loki coming in May of 2021. We got trailers for all of these. Hawkeye uh, with Haley Steinfeld coming in fall of 2021. What If, uh, which is actually, um, if I remember correctly, I think it's going to feature uh, Chadwick Boseman uh in voice, if I remember correctly. Correct. Uh, so, that's, so that's an animated uh, Marvel uh, feature. Uh, Ironheart uh, is going to be coming as well, uh, who I think is starring uh, a teenager who reverse engineers Tony Stark's armor. Uh, I, I I don't know much about that property. Uh, armor Wars will star Don Cheadle uh, getting his own spinoff. Uh, Secret Invasion with Samuel L. Jackson and Ben Mendelsohn's uh, t- Talos from... Uh, Captain Marvel, so they're getting a spinoff uh, together. Marvel Studios uh, also confirmed that Tatiana Maslany is going to be playing She-Hulk, as Michael uh, mentioned before, and Mark Ruffalo will be uh, starring opposite her. I'm not done. There's more. Uh, Iman Vellani uh, was confirmed as Kamala Khan and Mrs. and Miss Marvel, and Feig revealed that uh, she will co-star in the sequel to Brie Larson's Captain Marvel. Uh, James Gunn will write and direct a live-action Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special set to arrive in 2022, and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is still set to come out in 2023. And then finally, I am Groot, because we all knew that a Groot spinoff series was coming at some point. (laughs) This presentation nearly brought me to tears. Not necessarily as a fan, but more as a stockholder. Bring it on. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, and that's the thing. I was like, as a Disney stockholder, this is great. As someone who, like, is just out here, like, this is not my thing. (laughs) I'm just, I'm exhausted. And to Marvel's defense, slash someone who, like, has experience with the original source materials, all of these characters do have, like, their own issues in their own oh. volumes. Their oh, own yeah. Story. So, like, Riri, who is, like, Ironheart, she has, like, her own huge following. She has her own comics. And, like, she has these awesome journeys that she goes on, so I'm excited to see her. But then, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, like, that's kind of like the Star Wars special when they did that, like, back in the day, where it was just, like, random and it has nothing to do with it, where, like, you don't even know it exists anymore if you don't know Star Wars. So there are some things that I'm really excited for, whereas others are just like, why are you making them? But Kevin is Kevin Feige is literally about to open Marvel's Pandora's box and it might be too much to navigate and to organize. So I do worry about that. No, I'm really man. like just like when are they going to start finally branch Marvel off into their own separate streaming platform? Because with all that content, no. it's going to happen sooner or later. I, I no. have to say this is probably uh, much neater and cleaner than the HBO Warner Brothers thing, which apparently has really kicked off 
uh, filmmakers. Everybody apparently is on board for this uh, Disney Plus uh, new, uh, new world. And uh, that's thank goodness for that, because uh, it's going to make uh, talent a lot more happy. I actually think that that's a very interesting comment there, Tom, because in the last week we did hear um, we did hear some criticism from Denny Villeneuve about Dune. Christopher Nolan obviously is upset about the move from Warner Brothers and HBO Max. And then you do have all of these big name stars and directors who are embracing uh, the streaming change that is occurring within the industry. And they're the ones that are getting these projects over at Disney. So I don't know. I think that in many ways, the writing is on the wall for a lot of filmmakers out there. But at the same time, I am still subscribing to the belief that a lot of what these filmmakers are worried about is stuff that is temporary and I don't believe is going to bring about a permanent change that will forever destroy the theatrical experience and cinema like as a whole. I think that that's like a take right now that is a little extreme, but I feel like in, in reading Villeneuve's comments, Nolan's comments, it, it feels like they really just believe that that is what is happening. And it's like, I, I don't I don't see it that way. I see it just as this is a temporary thing because of the pandemic, and there will be both options available in the marketplace for how to make films moving forward. There's not going to just be one way to do it, in my opinion. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present, if you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. Well, I don't, I still think that there's an argument as to how temporary it's actually going to be, but I do think that there is still going to be somewhat of an emphasis on theaters. And I think it's evident by the fact that of all the things that you just listed in terms of what they're doing with Marvel right now, what's coming to Disney Plus, one thing that was notably, notably absent was Black Widow. That is still, as of this moment, scheduled to be released only in theaters, despite all of this other content that Disney is going to put onto their streaming platform. So there is still some investment in the theatrical experience because they know that's the only place you're going to make a billion dollars on a single movie. Well, let me uh, transition over to the theatrical movies that Marvel is uh, coming out with. Kevin Feige confirmed that Black Panther will not recast the late Chadwick Boseman. Uh, no mention of Letitia Wright, so <laughs> we're still waiting for word on that. She's having a conversation with PR at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Coogler is apparently working on a new concept for the film, and it is still scheduled to arrive July of 2022. 
Uh, Mahershala Ali's Blade is also coming. That was previously announced. I forgot about that. Peyton Reed uh, will return to direct the third Ant-Man film, which is going to be titled Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Uh, Jonathan Majors is confirmed to appear as Kang the Conqueror. Uh, Feige also uh, talked about how WandaVision, Doctor Strange, and the multi-universe of madness and the untitled third Spider-Man feature are all somewhat connected. And we got, of course, um, lots of casting news on the third Spider-Man film. But speaking of, John Watts, the director of the Spider-Man films, is now developing a new Fantastic Four movie. Oh, why not? Give it another college try for this property that has never worked. <laughs> I in mean, really, movies. really. It's just like, no. No, you you tried it once, you tried it twice. It was bad both times. Just please. And if this time doesn't work, then fourth time will definitely be the charm. <laughs> Maybe they need to send you other doing Spider Man too, and it's just like just stop, just please. This is what stop I'm on. saying about Kevin Feige opening Marvel's Pandora's box because he's doing all of this Disney Plus TV show that's all interconnecting with all the movies, which is like Black Widow's Eternal, Shang He. All these movies that he didn't show us anything. He only showed us Disney Plus content. And then he's also opening. So that all has their own story. Then he's going to do the Fantastic Four. And you know damn well he's going to try the X-Men as well. So that's a lot of characters and a lot of story for us all to understand. If he can do it, cool. But like that's a lot. Yep. Maybe to make it all work, they should bring in the team from Arrested Development and just do Fantastic Four the musical. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, Matt, there's still three things from Disney Plus that we should bring up really quickly because these are pretty big projects. There's Chippendale Rescue Rangers starring John Mulaney and Andy Samberg. Okay. We I have... mean, honestly, might be the one thing I'm actually looking forward <laughs> to, to be honest with you. Yeah, that sounds terrific. You have, very excited about this one, Sister Act 3 with Whoopi Goldberg returning as star and producer. Tyler Perry is involved in that as well. Can't wait for that. And just on Thursday morning, before this uh, shareholders announcement, oh, this was, I was big. Clips of Enchanted, just because I love Enchanted, and I was thinking to myself, you know, Disenchanted is probably never going to happen, and that might be for the best. You know, it seems like everyone is off doing other projects, and Enchanted is so perfect as is. Well, I may have willed something into the universe because we finally got confirmation yet again that Disenchanted is in the works. Amy Adams involved, going to Disney Plus. I don't know when. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know how. But I am so excited to see her as Princess Giselle yet again. Cannot wait for that. This is so, like, this is sort of epitomizes how I feel about Disney right now. Like, it has been over 10 years since Enchanted. Almost right? 14. 2007. Yeah. I, 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 why? Because people like Michael exist. It's, it's, <laughs> it's just stupid. Like, at this point... No, there it, it ended perfectly fine. There is not any more story to cover here unless you're going to go back to the animated world with James Marsden and Idina Menzel, which I'm sure they will. I'd be here for that, but that's not what clearly not what they're going for with this. And like just like do something original like that used to be Disney's like a great thing about Disney. There was always something new to look forward to, you know, in the nineties and the early aughts. And now they're just cannibalizing themselves because they can't bring up any new content. And I just like, well, I will shell out money. So that's why they continue to do it. Please don't. 
<laughs> well, if you want to hear about a Disney uh, property that has gotten a very unique spinoff lately, Roadside Attractions released a trailer this week for Pinocchio, which has already been seen by a couple of people um, and has gotten really, really, really strong reviews. And this is set to come out on December 25th, 2020. I was very much taken aback by this trailer, so I thought that we should talk about it very briefly here on the show. So here is the trailer for Pinocchio. I've been thinking to make with my hands by myself a wooden puppet. Pinocchio, try say something. Babbo. My son, my son is born. From one day to the next. What do you mean from one day, from one minute to the next? Watch me, eh? And one, and two. If you do like me, in two or three days, you'll be walking by your... Pinocchio! He's a puppet like us! Who are you? Pinocchio. Ask me! I know a certain place. Called the Field of Miracles. Put him in prison! How come in prison? <laughs> What's going on with riddles? And now, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> the donkey! to be a puppet. I want to become a boy like all the others. This looks remarkable. This truly, truly looks remarkable. I thought of Josh Parham when I watched this because I know that Josh Parham loves Tim Burton and I got that vibe from watching this. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny that when you hear a Pinocchio movie starring Roberto Benigni, normally that doesn't conjure up the best memories. Oh, yeah. The, oh. the last time mm-hmm. that we had something like that. But I think when you put it in the hands of somebody like Matteo Garone, who is a really interesting filmmaker, and like the tone of this reminded me of, um, oh, God, what was that other fantasy movie that he made that had Sama Hayek in it? Tale of Tales. Tale of Tales, yeah, which I really like that movie. And, and tonally and visually, it kind of reminds me of that. And yeah, from what I heard from the people that saw it, it sounded like it was actually a really good movie. And it's got some really interesting design work in it, too. I'm not a really big fan of, the, of this version being dubbed. I would like to see the Italian version with subtitles. I would prefer to watch that. But I am very, very interested in seeing this movie. Yeah, that was my big thing. Like, I I can't do dubbed. I can't do when the lips don't match the what's being said on the soundtrack. Yeah. So no, that it, makes me that made me very sad while watching it. But like, it, the visuals are pretty impressive. If Roadside Attractions gives us a pretty solid push, I could very easily see this contending in a number of craft categories because. Like I mentioned before, in terms of a Tim Burton comparison, this seems to be combined with like, you know, strong reviews, the kind of stuff that Ampus typically goes for in those categories. And 
I'm very, very interested in it. I did see a lot of people saying, or at least trying to make comparisons to cats in terms of this being like nightmare fuel. But I think that's intentionally what they're going for because, you know, we've heard many, many times before about like how Guillermo del Toro is working like on a darker version of Pinocchio. And Pinocchio is a pretty inherently dark story when you really break it down. So nothing was out of the realm of what I expected. It was it was definitely exactly that. It was what I expected. <laughs> Disney's Pinocchio from 1940 just turned 80 years old this year. I think it's one of the great animated films of all time. And even that one, when you have the you know kids turning into donkeys, that, that gets very, very dark. It does. That's and, the hell out of me as a kid. Yeah, but you know, that film is just so breathtakingly beautiful. And there have been attempts to, you know, re-up the Pinocchio brand. You had the one from 1996 with Martin Landau, and that was perfectly fine. Uh, less said about the Roberto Benigni one from 2002, the better. That one is a true nightmare fuel. But I think this just looks gorgeous. And when you said the Tim Burton sensibilities, it has this artistic sensibility to it that I think is fascinating. The score sounds beautiful. The makeup looks amazing. So this is one of three Pinocchios we're going to be getting over the next few years. We have the Matteo Garon, the Guillermo del Toro one, which is really interesting. It's like a 1930s fascist Italy backdrop. So that's going to be really unique on Netflix. And then you have the Robert Zemeckis, uh, Tom Hanks version coming to Disney. So I'm all for re-upping Pinocchio because I think it's just a great story and I'm interested to see what everyone can do with it. Yeah, maybe not that uh, Robert Zemeckis one. I think we can skip that one. <laughs> the track record does make me nervous. <laughs> yeah. Too yeah. many... I like the wishes, so he's on good terms with me at the moment. You are the weirdest person I've ever met in my life, Michael, for saying that you like the witches. (laughs) That was very fun. Just so brave. Like, I got to give it to you. (laughs) Why would you say something so controversial yet so brave? (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Uh, Have you ever wanted to share a piece of Meryl Streep's glory in the award season or play a game with Daniel Kaluuya? Well, This year you can, thanks to today's sponsor of a star draft. As our listeners already know, Hollywood awards season is finally almost here, beginning with the precursors starting today. And the star draft is like fantasy football meets the Golden Globes, the Oscars, the BAFTA, the SAG awards. And here's how it all works. You head on over to thestardraft.com to create a league to invite friends or join a public league to make new ones. Draft a team of 10 actors and musicians. You think Anthony Hopkins is going to sweep the award shows this year? Draft him before your friends can. It's that simple. Before every nomination and award show, you set a full lineup, and every time your actor or musician earns an accolade, they earn your team points. Sit back, relax, watch the awards, and rehearse your acceptance speech. The next Star Draft season begins on January 18th with the Critics' Choice Television nominations, so be sure to draft a team by then. Other eligible nominations and award shows this year include the Golden Globes, Grammys, SAG Awards, and, of course, the Oscars. It is 100% free, and all you have to do is sign up at thestardraft.com. That's www.thestardraft.com. All right, now let's talk about some developments in the awards season this week. Uh, First up, we have the British Independent Film Award nominations, which Dan Baer was very, very quick to point out were pretty awesome all around. You had nominations for St. Maud, His House, The Father, Come With Horses. I mean, this was I always love looking at the independent so British good. nominations because they don't typically just go for your uh, normal award season Oscar bait. They go for what is just the best of the year in terms of independent British uh, films. So 
a lot of a lot of really cool mentions here. One thing that I did notice though is that I don't believe Olivia Coleman was nominated for the father. I found that interesting. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, they she was in lead. Mm. Oh, she was. Yeah, which was a very competitive category. Wow, interesting. I didn't know that she was in lead. Hmm. Yeah. Apparently, uh, we also had the nominations for the Cinema Eye Honors Documentary Awards. Uh, those are going to be announced on March 9th, 2021. The outstanding uh, nonfiction feature n- nominees are Boy State Collective, Dick Johnson is Dead, Gunda, and Time. Once again, I'm starting to see a pattern emerge here in terms of which documentaries from this year the critics are starting to go to bat for. And I really hope that Boy State kind of comes back. I feel like that movie sort of, it, when it came out, there was a lot of talk around it, and then it sort of disappeared a little bit. But I hope it comes back in the conversation because it's so good. And then uh, the 33rd European Film Awards uh, were announced this week, representing the best in European cinema for 2020. And another round, Cleaned House, winning for Best European Film, Best Director, Best Actor and Best Screenwriting of the Year as well. We may have a favorite now in the international race. Oh, I think it's far and away the default frontrunner right now. Yeah, 100% agree. Unless if something gets randomly discovered yeah. when the shortlist gets announced and people start watching something that like just flew under the radar and completely just, you know, surprises, I think another round has this on lockdown. Yeah, but even then, I think that those surprises on the shortlist, that helps you get nominated. I think by the time the shortlist comes out, people already have an idea of what is the front runner to win, especially with the entire Academy now voting on this category. It's probably true, yeah. And let's not forget they have Goodwill from The Hunt, which was a nominated film and is pretty well beloved amongst those Mm -hmm. who have seen it, so... Okay, uh, next trailer is for French Exit, Sony Pictures Classics. Uh, This is being released, oof, man, too far from now. February 12th of 2021, starring Michelle Pfeiffer, Lucas Hedges, Tracy Letts, Daniel McDonald, and Imogen Poos. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one. It's all gone. Every penny. What was your plan? My plan was to die before the money ran out, but I kept and keep not dying, and here I am. The hens are clucking. Are they saying I'm broke? They are. What about my apartment in Paris? It's just sitting empty. Have you told your mother about our engagement? We're going to Paris. Would you describe yourself as a coward? No. When I came to Paris the first time, something sent up an alert. It was the presentiment of what was to come. We're going to lie down. Will you come visit us later? What's she paying you? Ping. Aren't you her gigolo? Oh, God, no. That's my mother. What is it? An invitation to a party. Come in. Where are the others? It's just us. I thought we might become friends. I'm no need of friends in my life at the moment. You're being a dick. <laughs> I'm sorry. Have you heard any rumors regarding my reputation? I heard that you were odd. Well, I'm more than odd. There's a goodly part of me that wants to set this building on fire. What do you think of that? I've never been so hurt as when I saw your face for the first time. Why? Because you were me. I've always been lucky. 
I've been unlucky, but I have a sense that this will change suddenly and permanently. I've only been lucky, and I believe I will always be. It's such a cliche, isn't it? Someone killing themselves after the glamour has passed. Do you know what a cliche is? It's a story so fine that it's grown old in its hopeful retelling. You talk the talk, don't you? Oui, petit cochon. They broke the mold with that one. Cochon means pig. This looks fantastic. Her performance here in the trailer alone is already getting me so excited to see this movie. Cannot wait. She is very, very good in the movie. I cannot deny that. I loved her in this. This movie's overall tone and comic sensibility did not work for me personally. And I've seen some people, you know, say that. But at the same time, I've also seen equally just as many people say how much they were able to vibe with this movie. So I can't predict where people will fall on this, but I definitely think it's a situation where mileage will vary. I definitely vibed with it. I'll say that. I think I did, too. That is a movie that. Man, like it has such absurdist elements to it that if you're not like, as we said, vibing with that tone, you're not really going to be into the movie. But if you can tune into this frequency that the movie's going for, it's it's very uneven for sure. It's mm. not like a solid hit, but yeah, like if you're into it, like it's oddly appealing. And I found myself really kind of being into this like really bizarre tone that it was going for that it, it did work for me overall. Yeah, I, so for me at least it was the contrast between Michelle Pfeiffer's kind of drag queen performance and uh, this <laughs> crazy uh, uh, plot that she find this character finds herself in, and uh, the just the mixture of that is something I've never quite seen before, and uh, that's what was so appealing to me. And I'm just glad Michelle Pfeiffer's getting like this nice meaty role where it's just about her being crazy and oh, cool God, and, and badass. So and she's just good, and she deserves, you know, that spotlight. It'll be interesting to see how the uh, late release affects its chances. Mm-hmm. I agree with that, and man, I I don't know if it's just because the two films have come out back to back, but I don't know what mode Lucas Hedges is operating in nowadays because I am not vibing with the tone of his performances in both this and Let Them All Talk. Yeah, really, I, mean, I thought he was really good in Let Them All Talk, so I'm excited to see. Uh, I, I, did, oh, I thought it was <laughs> terrible, completely lacking in charisma in let them all talk and i did think he was a little better in french exit but like it's very strange that he has fallen into the category of like son figure to older diva actresses on a, like, that's a really weird niche <laughs> yeah on a cruise too <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> dry deadpan humor i i just don't know if it works for him personally i think he's just so much more I think he's so much better when he's just in the dramatic, emotionally affecting roles where he can show his vulnerability, like in Waves or in Manchester by the Sea. I don't like the fact that he's done these two types of roles this year. I just don't. And I hope it doesn't represent something new that he's going to continue to keep on doing. But, man, I'm not a fan. Yeah, like, I do like French Exit, but his... Everything involving him and his character was one of my least favorite things about that movie. So, yeah, I'm not that into what he's been kind of putting down this year. But 
I mean, the movie itself, I'm, I am so fascinated to see what more people will think about this. It's a very odd movie, but I really do feel like if you're kind of into the very, like, offbeat humor and really absurdist things that happen in this movie, like there's a seance that's just treated like it's nothing. It's, it's so <laughs> weird. But but if, like, you watch it and it's like, okay, this is sort of fun, then you're going to have, I think, a really good time with it. And one, one other thing I'll just say, too. Tracy Letts as the cat, huge letdown. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's not what you imagine it would be. No. I mean, certainly. No. But yeah, I mean, just because of the lesser amount of importance he has. But I think he's really good. But no, it, but it's like, I, I, uh, let's just say, let's just say I expected something. Uh, I don't know. I, I just I was let down by it. Let's just put it that way. I, I was just happy that it wasn't a talking cat. That's what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> I figured the movie was already so absurd. You might as well go there. <laughs> you know, You know. but thank goodness it's not Mr. Ed or anything like that. So. Yeah. Was A Quiet Place inspired by signs it comes at night in War for the Planet of the Apes? Was Ready Player One influenced by Avatar, Wreck-It Ralph, and The Last Starfighter? Is the Hurricane Heist more influenced by Sharknado or Geostorm? These are the kinds of questions my guest co-hosts and I discuss on my podcast, Piecing It Together. Every week we look at a new movie and try to figure out what other movies inspired it, whether it's the story, the character development, tone, or even use of music. Every movie was influenced by something that came before, and we want to figure out what. Check out Piecing It Together on your favorite podcast app or check us out on piecingpod.com. You can also follow us on social media at piecingpod. Piecing It Together is a part of the All Points West Podcast Network. Okay, so for last week's poll for the release of Wolf Walkers on Disney, well, no, sorry, Apple TV Plus. <laughs> uh, we asked everyone which animated film deserved to win the Oscar for Best Animated Feature over a Disney winner. Very, very tricky question because... Disney has dominated the best animated feature category over the years. We expect them to win again this year with Soul. And it does feel like it is usually written in stone and predetermined whenever Disney has a strong contender in the race that they are going to run away with it. So I figured I would ask because Wolfwalkers is building up steam. People are talking about it. Is it going to give Soul some you know major competition and maybe eventually win? I don't know, but at the same time, it was fun to reflect back on previous years and look at uh, which films, you know, when there was a Disney winner, you would have liked to have seen uh, overtake it. So, Michael, do you have like an answer for this where there was a non-Disney animated film uh, that did not win the Oscar that you would have liked to have seen one? It has only happened once, and that was 2014 when I thought How to Train Your Dragon 2 should have won over Big Hero 6. And I enjoyed both movies, but I think one was... Uh, heftier in terms of emotion and depth and just the better film overall one and only time all right lauren Ooh, i'm gonna try to pick one that's not that because that is a correct answer but um i think i'm gonna go with the ori- no i'm not i'm gonna do what do i like let me think um, <laughs> i didn't like toy story 4 i'll just be honest i didn't like toy story 4 at all so i don't understand why that one last year so i would have done um the third how to train your dragon so i'm kind of doing it with michael but i'm kind of not so that's what i would have voted for if i was in the academy i don't get it i don't get toy story 4 all right all right let's hear now from tom i'm not a big fan of brave so i may have gone that year with paranorman oh okay interesting choice uh let's hear next from dan bear 
any of the How to Train Your Dragons. Okay. Josh Parm? Yeah, there's a lot of options that I actually could go with because I normally – I actually don't go with the Disney movie as often as other people would, but – I think the one for me has to be my favorite film of 2015, and that is Anomalisa. And I am going with I Lost My Body over Toy Story 4 last year. Also, Dan, any of the How to Train Your Dragon? So you would have chosen that over Wally? No, no, oh, no, I'm sorry, Wally. Toy Story. I'm sorry, it, Toy, it, Story, Toy Story 3. Toy Story 3? Yeah. I, I don't think I would have done it over Toy Story 3, but definitely either of the other ones. Okay. All right, let's see what the MVP film community said here. Coming in at number 10. Oh, man. Anomalisa. Hey, it made the top 10. I'm fine with that. <laughs> wow. Did not see that coming. All right. Number nine is I Lost My Body. Josh, represent. All right. <laughs> Let's Very go. Good. I love that movie, too. Number eight is How to Train Your Dragon 2. Number seven is, oh, my God. How to Train Your Dragon. Hmm. Wow. I'm surprised that that placed over uh, How to Train Your Dragon 2, but oh, you know what? It was by only one point, so okay. One point. Oh, very mm-hmm. close. All right. Number six is Coraline. Oh, love Coraline so much. So people would have voted for that over Up. Interesting. I would have. Uh, number five. Ooh, The Tale of the Princess Kaguya. Gorgeous. I yeah. love that movie. And it, Over Big Hero 6, that's that's a big 10-4 as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. Uh, number four, Shrek 2. Like, okay. Yeah, no, I cannot is say a masterpiece. that. Shrek no. 2 is great, though. That is a very, very funny movie. Yeah, it's a good movie, but The, the Incredibles is my favorite Pixar film, so there's no way I was yeah. ever going to say that. My favorite superhero movie overall, so I, you know, wouldn't take that away. Oh, yeah. I mean, my joke is always that The Incredibles is the best Fantastic Four movie that's ever been made. Yeah. Number three is Klaus over Toy Story 4. I almost did it. Still never seen Klaus. Really? It's really good. Oh. It's on Netflix. You should watch it this holiday season. I just may. Number two. Oh, this was a tight race that year. Kubo and the Two Strings. Mm. And number one. Goes to Fantastic Mr. Fox. Which is also 2009 with uh, Up. O- over Up. Over it's up. a great movie. Wouldn't put it over Up, though. I, th- I do agree when people say that Up has almost like in a Saving Private Ryan sort of a way. It has that great opening and then the rest of the movie never matches that great opening. I understand that criticism. I totally get it. I, I think I still would have voted for Up over... Coraline or Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah, see, for me, I do prefer Coraline that year greatly. And it is because of what you just said. Like, the first 10 minutes of Up are incredible. It's like some of the best filmmaking that you will ever see. But I don't think that movie ever reaches those same heights again. And I think the storytelling drops off significantly after that. Like, it's still good. And I still really like Up. But I find that especially in something like Coraline, I, I just have so much more affection overall for that movie than I do for something like Up, which I do think drops off a bit in quality after the beginning of the film. All right. And now for this week's poll for the release of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, we are asking everyone, which is your favorite film starring Viola Davis? So nothing about performance, just Viola Davis was in this movie, and this is your favorite movie that she has been a part of. 
I am going to start off with Lauren. Um, I really love Doubt. I think it's phenomenal, and I think her performance is also phenomenal in it, but just as it's put together, it's Doubt. I love it. All right, Josh Parham. Uh, if I'm thinking about the best movie that uh, she's been in, I... Man, I think I gotta say Fences. I, I think that is a movie that I really liked when I first saw it, but I revisited it not too long ago and really was more into it than I initially thought. And obviously her performance is amazing, but I think that that movie altogether is actually really, really solid. Tom O'Brien. My choice would be, a, a, she has a small part in it, but I think my favorite movie that she's ever done was Prisoners. Mm. All right, Michael? I'm also going to go with Doubt, and we were talking about Wild Mountain Time earlier on this podcast and how John Patrick Shanley just, you know, maybe lost it there. But I think the way he constructs Doubt with the Roger Deakins cinematography and the way that he stages everything, I think he makes it inherently cinematic, and that is a really great thing. Plus, she's just downright amazing in it. Yeah, as far as, like, stage-to-screen adaptations go, I think that that's a very, very, very strong one. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then finally, Dan Baer. I could say Far From Heaven, Mm. but I am going to say Widows. And I'm going to piggyback off of that and go with the underappreciated Widows as well. I agree, Dan. That movie is fire and nobody seemed to care. (laughs) I totally forgot about Far From Heaven, so that is a really good answer. (laughs) (laughs) Not Suicide Squad, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) You know, she's also in traffic. Someone could have said that, too, and it would have been a good answer. That is on the list. Yeah, oh, yeah. I like, forgot. Her career, because it has been so long and she's been in so many different kinds of movies and even like very, very small roles, she's been in so many great things throughout the years. I agree. She's had an amazing career, and that's only going to continue with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which is streaming on Netflix starting this weekend, starring the late, great Chadwick Boseman. Both of them give absolutely incredible performances in this film. And I cannot wait for you all to see it. Head on over to the Pulse page at nextbestpicture.com and cast a vote there and let us know which is your favorite film starring Viola Davis. And our final trailer for this week is for a very small movie that debuted at Sundance early this year, directed by Phyllida Lloyd, called Herself. It is written and starring Claire Dunn, which is a name that after you all see this movie, you will not forget, I assure you. Um, It is going to be receiving a limited theatrical release on December 30th before being made available to stream on Amazon Prime on January 8th. I am very, very proud to give a spotlight to this movie here on the show today if you have not heard of it because trust me when I tell you this is uh, one of the underseen uh, gems of the year and I'm excited to uh, talk about this film with you all so let's take a look at the trailer what can I do for you I want to build a house these are some of the vacant sites that you have you see if you lend me the money and let me use a site then I could have that built for me and my kids I'm really sorry I can't help you with this We can't go on like this. Just keep telling yourself, it's temporary. Sorry, guys. Late like three times, and you got your kids here. John, please, I need this job. What are we doing, Sandra? Do you think this is good for the girls? I've seen a counselor. We could try and make it work. I want to fix him, you know? I know. But there are some people you just can't 
I have designed a house that costs just 35,000 euros to build. Sandra, why didn't you ask me? Your mother was far more than a cleaner to me. She was a friend. It's land going to waste. Use it. Build a house for you and your girls. All along the highway, <laughs> Our own house. At the bottom of the garden. Like a fairy house. <laughs> need a hand for a few weekends over the summer if you want to help. This time I know I'm <laughs> Sandra! Oh my god! Party's work. Will you go in and see your dad? She's not herself. She wants to stay with me. You're a lot to me, Sandra. Skelly, you've been served. Breach of access. I'm sorry, love. But legally, he has a right to go to court. What is the point of a house if I have no kids to put in it? Most of us get so sunk in our own pain, we don't notice our children's. But you did. And that makes you a good mother. know what he did to me and yet you still bring me in here and you ask me questions like why didn't you leave him but you never ask why didn't he stop i have wanted to see this film since sundance all of you guys were tweeting about how great it is and i'm so excited it's something right up my alley just like a little movie that could um claire dune looks amazing in it and i'm so excited to you know see what she can do and it's such a great little character story about this woman with her two kids trying to make her life better and I can't wait and you guys are really hyping it for me so I can't wait hmm. um, I'm gonna be honest I really didn't care for this trailer all that much have you seen the movie yet I have not seen the movie oh okay I, I, so maybe I will be surprised but to be honest with you the trailer kind of sold like nearly every kind of <laughs> type of drama this is and it didn't really feel all that inventive to me but you know it, it's a trailer and i think trailers are meant to sell a particular kind of movie to people so maybe i will be more impressed with the actual product but i have to admit that just going by what i saw it seemed very traditional to me mm. it was funny to me i got the feeling that i've seen the movie now I agree that that is yeah. one thing about the trailer that upset me was that they revealed pretty much almost every single plot element of the movie in the trailer. That that did upset me. Yeah, that might be also something else that I'm kind of reacting to is that it did sort of seem like, yeah, I kind of got everything that I expected was going to be in the movie and they showed it in the trailer. And I sort of felt like, OK, well, I feel like I know what that movie is now. Plus. Phil Lloyd, very She's uneven not, track record yeah. as a as a filmmaker. <laughs> Her name does not inspire confidence, as they say. Mm -hmm. Well, we know Michael's a fan of the Iron Lady. I like Merrill in the Iron Lady. I do not like that movie. So yeah, the movie. We'll is, uh, this uh, looks good, though. Yeah, the performance is phenomenal. The movie, uh, not so much. But you did give me my beloved Mamma Mia, so I will see this uh, regardless. And I think the trailer does look good. So looking forward to when this drops on Prime. Now, let's end it this week with questions from the MVP film community. Let's see what they had to ask us this week. Hey, everyone. I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. 
New episodes drop every Monday morning, and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelandfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. Oh, keeping the conversation with Meryl Streep from Juan Carlos Ollano. Out of Meryl's two performances this year, which one do you, A, think is closer to an Oscar nomination, B, personally prefer? The prong for both. I agree. Yeah, same. I think so. Yep. Scott Kernan. What would you consider to be the default, quote unquote, frontrunner for Best Picture at the moment? I ask because between the trial of the Chicago 7 and Nomadland, I'm starting to believe that there is a discussion between which is the one that will gain more passion when the voting starts. Oh, that's For the win? Uh, yep. For the win, it's definitely it's trial, trial of the Chicago 7. Yeah. I still think, and I know we talked about this on our podcast review for Nomadland, I am starting to get this feeling that Nomadland could turn into a parasite where the passion really, really pushes the film pretty far. I don't know if it will result in a win, but then again, this time last year, I wasn't talking about Parasite necessarily being the winner either. I was just saying, but you were still at this moment a year ago from today, still talking about how great Parasite is and still hyping up Parasite. Correct. Not having that big volume with Nomadland. I I gotta agree with Lauren on that one. It's Nomadland does not have the same level of everybody loves this movie as Parasite did. Yeah. If you're not on the wavelength of Nomadland, it's gonna bore you to tears. There is a very specific audience for that movie, and I know it's gonna do well with nominations. The Parasite was something that you could put anyone down in front of and they would find something to take away from it. Not so much with Nomadland, where Chicago 7 is very much that movie you could put on for your whole family. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that Nomadland is a better film, but I think that Chicago 7 is a film that I think the Academy voters would be more comfortable. Yeah, God, I agree with Tom on that one. Yeah, honestly, the comparison for Nomadland, I actually wouldn't say is Parasite if it... Honestly, the one that I would go for that maybe it could be for that movie is Moonlight. Yeah. All right. We'll wait and see. The precursors are starting today with Boston. So we'll, I, I, I definitely think Nomadland is going to be the winner amongst the critics groups for most Best Picture prizes. But... Uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, that means yeah, nothing it's gonna to be a, the I mean, because, like, you know, as we've talked about before, it didn't help Roma. Exactly. Yeah. No Manland's going to get a lot of awards. It's going to get a lot of nominations. I just don't see it being Best Picture. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Austin Belzer at Austin B Tweets asks, what could you see being a surprise awards contender? Ooh. In general? I mean, how do we mean surprise? <laughs> I will say this. I do think that Sound of Metal is gaining a lot of traction right now mm-hmm. outside of just Riz and Best Sound, where it could contend for screenplay, Paul Racy and supporting. Darius Martyr could re- very easily surprise in director, and I don't think Picture is that far off. Yeah. yeah. I agree with that. I just don't know how much of a surprise contender that really is, you know? <laughs> yeah. The one I'm really looking at is a holdover from this summer, but I think The Five Bloods is uh, ready to make a nice resurgence sometime soon. You could see that not just an actor, but potentially picture, director, screenplay, if you know things fall a certain way. I'm not really predicting all of them at the moment, but it's certainly in contention, I would say. I would say the only 
film from pre-COVID that might have a shot at something could be the way back. They are giving Ben Affleck a push and best actor. Mm. I mean, there's a couple of things pre-COVID that could contend in some categories. Way back is one of them. First Cow and Adapted Screenplay is another. That'd be really, really nice. <laughs> Daniel B. at Film Sports 21 asks, with News of the World's positive early reception, is it still more in the race than we previously thought? I could see it being this year's Ford v. Ferrari. Haven't seen it, so I can't say, but it's always felt like a just a, like solid sort of filler contender. I think it is a great comparison with Ford versus Ferrari. You know, yeah. they are very mainstream commercial films. Again, the type of thing that you could put anyone down in front of and have them enjoy it. I, I was surprised by how light news of the world is, and that's not a bad thing, because if you're looking for something, you know, over the holiday, that could be it. So it all depends on how people see and respond to it. But I have it in the lower tier of my best picture predictions. So I really wouldn't write it off. It's not going to be the juggernaut, but really keep an eye on that one because people are going to like it. Yeah, it fills a very like traditional mold that you would expect a movie to kind of enter into the best picture race. I The, the problem is that normally those kind of traditional movies, what they uses their evidence to get into the race is good box office, which we don't have this year. So it's harder to know how it will play overall. But I do think we shouldn't like necessarily count it out, but it's definitely kind of in the lower tier of contenders right now. But I can see a scenario where it could go straight up the middle and take a fifth slot or sixth slot or something like that in best picture. uh, Because there are, there, there are some films that may be for very specific tastes, but I can see News of the World appealing to older Academy voters who are comfortable with this kind of storytelling. All right. Paul Rye asks, with a lot of amazing director uh, directorial debut films coming out this year, uh, what's been your favorite directorial debut of 2020? My vote goes to Sound of Metal. I was mine's, in Father. Mine, Summerland. Promising young woman. I'm going with Emerald <laughs> Fennell for Promising Young Woman as well. Yeah, that's my vote. Um, there's nothing like it. Was Minari a directorial debut, or had he done things before? Then? He had done things before. It's okay, then. I don't think I've seen one yet this year, so stay tuned. Oh, that's not true. You totally have. Which one? You saw 40-Year-Old Version. Oh, was that a debut? Yeah. Okay, then I guess that's my answer. Yeah. <laughs> All right. It's a good one. Sir May asks, do you think an international feature film might enter into any other category this year other than best international feature film? I think The Life Ahead is going to contend for original song. Technically not a best international feature film contender anymore, though. (laughs) Among non-nominees, I I could see that. And and, and Sophia Loren is not out of the question. I mean, if if people... It, it depends on when people watch the foreign film nominees, right? Like, it, with another round doing recently so well, I and him being a name, I wouldn't count Mads Mikkelsen out completely, but I don't think he's, like, in the upper tier of contenders. Mads me. Mikkelsen getting into an acting lineup would be a Javier Bardem in Beautiful situation where it, like, I could see it happening. You know, it's not something that's going to be a part of our solid five overall predictions. It's definitely going to be an outlier. But I think all he has to do is get one precursor nomination in a major uh, awards voting body. And yeah, he's in the conversation immediately. Yeah, he's yeah. not in the five, but he's definitely in the 10 for me. 
So there's possibility. <laughs> All right. Uh, just for the just for shits and giggles, Isaiah Washington, One's Gotta Go, action films. Very quickly, no hesitation. One of these has to go. Die Hard, Terminator 2, Casino Royale, Mission Impossible, Fallout. 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 Die Hard. Casino Royale. I'm going with, oh my God, uh, Casino Royale. Guys are killing me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll say I'll say Fallout. Uh, okay. Jacob Kleinberg, I have a game for you all. If these actors or actresses haven't been up for an Oscar since the 2000s. Do you think any of them can come back to the Oscar race at any point in this new decade? First up, Amy Ryan. Mm, yeah. 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 Sure. We haven't seen her in a while, but God, she's good. Needs a, like, a good, juicy supporting role. Next up, mm-hmm. Laura Linney. Yes. yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You watch that last season of Ozark, you see what she's capable of. Elliot Page. Elliot, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, so good in Juno. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh. I, and, and, and delivering solid supporting performances in the years afterwards. Uh, I, I, it's just going to be the right role. Josh Brolin. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think he's come close before. I think he wasn't that far for Inherent Vice. So give him like another great part. And I think he's in. Paul Giamatti. That's a tough one because he's mm. always such a great character actor. But I wonder how the Academy truly feels about him. He should have been a shoe in for Sideways back in the day. Yeah. But I think that that's why he didn't get in. Like, everyone assumed he was safe sort of thing. Yeah. And then they made it up to him with a nomination the following year for Cinderella Man. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I I don't know that that's going to happen just because I don't know what more he has to show us. Like, at this point in his career, it feels like he is just sort of hired to play the Paul Giamatti role. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the thing. It, it all goes back to the parts that are going to come up. And look, I I really like Paul Giamatti. I think he's a great actor, but I don't know if he's really – I don't know if I can see in the future that role that would be welcoming back to another nomination. Yeah, right. I think his last great role in a movie was Barney's version, which was 10 years ago. And outside of that, he's doing like billions on Showtime, which is very good, but he doesn't have those meaty film roles anymore. No. What you want a Golden Globe for? Yeah, really good performance. Yeah. Yeah, it's because they yeah. were shamed into not giving it to Johnny Depp for either it's one of the performances that year. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, that's a resounding yes. Yeah. Totally. I mean, <laughs> I mean, he's got a years ahead of him, but like the fact that he hasn't gotten one after all the crazy shit he's done, like I don't know. It's going to be one of those things where the next nomination is the win, and it's going to be a whole big, you know, season-long thing for him. And he's, but he's the one name of this list that can open a movie. And um, you know, he could get the pick of the litter. The, his, some of his choices have been a little crazy, but uh, you know, as long, there is a role out there that I think is going to bring him the Oscar. Yeah, I think it's going to be a Joaquin Phoenix and Joker situation where. The, it'll be the right role, the right time, but film Twitter is going to be like, oh, this? Really? I could see that. All right. That'll do it here for this week on the Next Best Picture podcast. Michael, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at mschwartz95. Lauren? You guys can find me on the Twitter at Lauren Lamango. Josh Parham? You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. Dan Bear? You can find me on Twitter at Dan on Film. And Tom? Please join me at Thomas E. O'Brien. 
And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 224 of the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. And you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Rate us five stars. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think of the show. And if you're feeling more generous than that, head on over to Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you can get exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.